Hey, Sam here, and I know your day's crazy, but I've got a quick idea to take your stress from overwhelmed to under control. So let's tackle systems from the classroom to your living room, one simple step at a time. This is the Simple Systems with Sam podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking to a very specific group of people, and that is, spoiler alert, science teachers. We're going to be talking all about labs, but before you click off, if you are not a science teacher, I do want to say that I think a lot of these ideas can be applied to other classrooms. You can use these for any type of station or activity that you're doing, and it might be a great example of how you can assemble some pieces in your classroom for hands-on learning. But also, before anybody clicks off, I do have a survey listed in the show notes that I would love if you could take for me. About every 25 episodes on the podcast, I want to take a quick custom I want to take a quick listener survey just to see if there's anything that you think is going well or could be improved. If you have a specific topic or idea that you want to hit on, then please go ahead and drop it in the survey. If you fill out the survey, then I'm going to be sending you, then when the survey closes in a couple weeks, I'm going to be sending you a freebie all about templates that you can use in your home and personal life because we've spent a lot of time talking about school lately with the unit planning series. So I want to make sure we're covering all of the pieces of your life and not just school. So this is going to be a 10-page freebie full of really great information and simple systems that you can execute for the other pieces of your day. And as a bonus, if you go ahead and put a review of the podcast into your podcast player, take a screenshot of it before you submit because sometimes they can go away and go crazy. Then I'm going to send three of you and send you $20 to get yourself a little treat, especially as we go into this back-to-school season. All right. So specifically today, science teachers and other teachers, because we know you guys are there too and you're doing amazing things, but science teachers, we're going to talk labs. Labs have been actually a very requested topic, and I wanted to make sure that we had a lot of other pieces in place so that we could talk about them in all-encompassing format. So we're going to go pretty deep into labs today and a lot of different details about it. But one of the things that I want you to think about specifically is in the unit planning template, when we did a unit planning outline, what pieces are you including in each unit? I try to do one lab and one activity per unit. That's it. (laughs) And some of my units are six weeks long. We don't have to go overboard if you're making quality labs. And if you don't know if you're making quality labs, test out what you got and then improve it for the next year. You have time. I promise it'll still get the work done. But our guiding principle for this entire episode is my favorite Einstein quote. It was actually embedded into some concrete at my college. That's where I found it. That's where I fell in love with it. But it says, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And the whole goal of all of these labs is to take these complicated ideas that we're learning and teaching our students and simplify it into something that they can go ahead and experience, calculate, model, investigate, all those different things. And that actually brings me into part two, is I really want to talk about how we define a lab. Because when you get into science, you know that labs are a part of it. You know that you need to have hands-on experiences for your students. But what exactly constitutes a lab? And we tend to think scientific method when we think labs, but that is not it. A lab is anything that gives your students real-world and hands-on experience with the topic at hand. So I've kind of broken it down into four main categories of how they might do that. The first is going to be experiential, where they are experiencing the phenomena. The first thing that comes to mind when I think about this 
is thinking about a static electricity station where they're taking a balloon and they're using the electrons to either stick it to a wall or to levitate a styrofoam plate or to pull a soda can across the table or to bend water. They're experiencing what's happening because otherwise it's really hard for us to think and fathom electrons because they are so tiny, even though they're not the tiniest. And that's a whole different thing that we just don't have the time to get into today. That is the first set, is experiential. They are experiencing the phenomena. The second one is investigative, where they are investigating and seeing something happen, but they don't know why. They're trying to figure out and logic their way through why something is happening. So it might be a phenomena that you have set up that they are just observing, or it might be an entire experiment that they're going through, and they're seeing something, but they have to figure out what is happening. Then there's also modeling. Modeling, I think, is a forgotten aspect of labs, where instead of you giving them directions, they are just showing you how they can piece things together. So this could be as simple as Play-Doh. This could be drawing things and organizing ideas. But I think modeling is best used when they're creating their own experiment or explanation for the phenomena that they've learned about. And the last one I would consider data collection. This is when you're doing more of a cookie cutter scientific method lab where you know that they are going to come to a specific conclusion, like calculating acceleration due to gravity, because you've given them the setup to collect the correct data, create the graphs, do the calculations, draw the conclusions. And these four different types can be experienced in a variety of ways. You can do full investigative lab setups, or you can just do a piece of it. You can have them collect data, or you can have them just analyze data. You can have them model what a beryllium atom would look like on a Bohr model, or you can have them matching cards where a beryllium atom needs to be put on the periodic table with beryllium so that they can see what the shape looks like. There are a lot of different ways you can do this, and they don't all have to be big and major. You can have stations, you can have like a little individual experience. So I think the idea of a traditional lab needs to kind of get shoved off to the side, and you just need to replace it with hands-on experience. So with the point of keeping everything as simple as possible, once you have the simplest definition of a lab in your mind, which is just experiencing what they can hands-on to connect to the material, then you need to think of how they're going to experience. What are they going to experience? And how simple can you make it? For instance, when you're doing chemical reactions and endo and exothermic, you can get into some really intense chemical reactions with that. Or you can give them hot hands and an instant ice pack. You can take baking soda and vinegar, or you can rust steel wool in just a couple minutes with some household ingredients. You don't have to make it big and grand and over the top. Because in reality, most of our students are going to be experiencing these topics in simpler situations in their lives, and that's when we want them to be able to identify it. When it comes to almost any physics lab, even in AP training, they are going to show you some of the simplest ways to model all of these physics concepts. Because one, they want to make sure that every single school has access to all these materials, but also that's all you need. Science is all around us, so we just need to find the simple way to show it. And then something that I do like to include is sometimes at the end of experiment, asking students to try to think or find another example of this in their everyday life. And you don't even need equipment for most science experiments. 
In fact, when I talk about velocity, speed, acceleration, distance, and displacement, I have my students walk, speed walk, but they're still walking. And that's going to be the simplest way that I can convey that experience to them. And then they can apply it to things like vehicles, or they can apply it to planets, and they can use that model and expand it out. Take your topic that you think your students need experiencing and simplify it as easy as you can. For chemical-based things, this can be rather difficult if you don't have materials, but you can still do a lot of this with next to nothing. I have a video on my YouTube channel about how I showed my students how to explain orbitals in electron configuration, and I just used Dixie cups from my pantry. When I have students doing bonding, I have them model it with little hole-punched pieces of paper that then they use those as protons, neutrons, electrons. We can create isotopes, we can create ions, and we can create bonds. And all they have to do is move around little cutout pieces of circles. That's it. Because when we are trying to simplify the experience and what they're going to see in their everyday life, then we can also simplify the materials. You do not need big, expensive things to do a lot of this. And trust me, coming from classrooms where I was literally given next to nothing, and then all of a sudden I inherited a classroom that was full of so many things, including my jars of dead spiders, that I didn't even know where to look, even if I wanted to find something, to now having so much equipment that I am very blessed and thankful for. But I have any, I don't even know what half of it does. There is so much fanciness in my classroom that I need to take an entire week to just sit and play with it and figure out what I can do with all of these things. But I still rely on the basic, the most basic of materials. As long as my students can do something with their hands and like touching and moving things or calculating things, I consider it a win. Some of the essentials and some of the things that I will use over and over and over again. Dixie cups, for sure. You can use them for almost anything. Play-Doh, popsicle sticks, rubber bands, different types of balls, which I can't ever think of a better way to sound. I can't ever think of a better way to say that where someone can't take a sound bite of me just saying the word balls over and over again. But if you can have bouncy balls, tennis balls, ping pong balls, then you have different masses, you have different sizes. You can do so many things with that. Foil is another really great classic one because not only can it be shaped, but you can use it for reflective surfaces. You can use it for smooth surfaces. You can crumple it up and then you have different friction based off of smooth foil or rough foil to show the little micro welds that are happening when it comes to gravity and friction. And then balloons of various sizes and colors and then Ziploc bags. I go through so many sandwich Ziploc bags, either to contain material or to do simple chemical experiments like baking soda and vinegar, where I don't really want to have to get all of the beakers and the glassware out for it for them to experience it. And in fact, I really want them to feel that it is an endothermic reaction. So they need to they need to be able to touch it and mess with it a little bit. You can also do oobleck and slime in these types of ways. I think if you have a core set of disposable but potentially reusable materials, as well as like a decently stocked pantry with your salt, your vinegar, your baking soda, cornstarch. You you can do a lot with those. Oh, and probably also food coloring. Food coloring would be good too. And paper towels. Not only because it's messy, but because paper towels are another one of those universal I can do anything with it moments. Along this line, I also really enjoy 
having my students do recycled material challenges where I explain to them what I want them to do and they need to go find the material for it. That way I don't even have to provide it, but it gives them some creative freedom and also you can see how their brain interprets the phenomena. I might tell them that I want to model a covalent and ionic bond with recycled materials. I want them to make me see and understand how covalent and ionic bonds work, but they can only use things that they find in the recycle bin or if they're really brave trash cans around the school. So they'll get in groups and they'll think about it and they'll talk about it. And then at lunch, they start collecting bottle caps or they come back with extra straws and you can kind of see their wheels turning and then they present the idea to you. So that way, you know that they're understanding what's going on, but they still got to have that hands-on moment. And then the other way to make this as simple as possible is I do think that starting off with lab templates is going to help exponentially. I think that if you're going to continually do something like stations, which are great, then maybe have five stations, each typically having a different theme, whether they're researching something, experiencing it, they can experience different things at three different stations, or maybe they are asking questions, or maybe they are reading an article about something. If you have those general ideas of the different types of stations you're going to have in your head, then you can go ahead and type up a general template that you can use not only for the station instructions, but also for the paperwork that they're going to fill out. I know that I personally have created an engineering design project template and then also a scientific method template. I've used my engineering design template for pretty much everything. When my students were building catapults and mousetrap cars this year, I took it and I put in a couple specifics. I walked them through a couple specifics of it, and then they filled out the rest of the paper. When I have them create their own investigation, then I give them the scientific method packet and we discuss a couple of the beginning things like what their materials are that they have, and then they have to design the experiment around that. But it's a paperwork that they're really familiar with because we use it over and over again. And I don't mean to like beat this over and I don't mean to like try to knock you over the head with templates, but I do think it's worth it. <laughs> so after kind of walking through all that, for each of the units you're going to do, I want you to start by thinking, do you want them to experience something, investigate something, model something, or collect data and do scientific method on it? Those are really the four main options. And then you can decide how big it's going to be. Is it going to be a one-day lab, a two-day lab? Do you want it to be stations? Do you want it to just be mini chunks that are broken up? Do you want it to be individual, group, whole class, where you maybe do the experiment in front and they have to take down notes and just learn how to do the process together? Then when you know what type of thing you want to do, decide on where in your unit it's going to be placed in the simplest way that a student can experience it. What is the simplest way that students can experience whatever you are trying to teach? Once you have a simple way that your students can experience it, then you want to come up with simple materials that you can use. And these should be things that you can find. If you can't find the materials for the experiment that you came up with, then you need to find a simpler way to do it. Then if you can create a template around whatever experience your students are having so that they're answering generic questions that they can apply to any topic. So it's, what are you noticing? How can you connect this to what we've been learning? Can you write a CER based off of your data? What type of graph can you create based off of this data? Now create it. It doesn't have to be lab specific. And if you're really struggling on where to start when it comes to finding a simple experiment, there's a couple really good places I suggest you look. One, 
any of those cheesy science kits that you can buy for your kids at like Walmart or on Amazon, where it's like 44 chemistry experiments. You know how they do 44 chemistry experiments in a box? They give you like one test tube and then they give you a little plastic beaker and then they give you really simple chemicals. So that's a great way to take a whole bunch of ideas and then apply it to your learning. Or go ahead and get a children's science experiment book, which I do not mean to say that our students can't comprehend more than what these children's books are aged for, which is usually around age eight. I 100% think that my seniors are above an eight-year-old science level. But the science is still applicable. You can take something that was meant for kids who don't understand the science but want to see something cool, and you level up the explanation. So these are two really great places. There's tons of great experiments on the internet, and you can search for almost anything. This is a great place to go and look at Facebook groups. I caution you about Facebook groups a lot, especially when it comes to something like a science teacher Facebook group, because it can be really overwhelming. If you go in and ask, I need a lab for soil pollution, you're going to get back a whole bunch of really detailed answers. If you search the group for soil pollution lab, you're going to come across fewer overwhelming responses, and you're going to be able to look for one that fits you and not feel like you have to investigate all of the options that are presented. When it comes down to it, though, the first couple years you do a lab, you're just going to want to take a ton of notes on what was working and what wasn't and do a lot of reflection on it so that you can have it ready for the next year. But to cover a couple other quick questions that I know I'm going to get, when it comes to lab prep, one, if you're using simple materials, it'll make prep and cleanup a lot easier. But I do believe that for a lot of this, you can have your students grab the material for you. If you are a chemistry teacher, you probably need to handle most of those. However, if you're going into your first year teaching something that doesn't deal with potentially caustic and explosive materials, you can trust your students to probably gather these together. You can have bins for different stations, or you can have it be a check-in, check-out process where students have to get material from you, and then they have to replenish it for the next class. This works really well if you have like five or six of the same classes coming in throughout the day. The last section of your class that is doing the lab should be able to help you organize and put away material, whether you need to put things into a dishwasher or a wash bin, or you need to get things thrown away and wiped up. These are student responsibilities that they should be expected to take on, and you should not feel guilty for having them do that. I encourage you that if you have the unit planning kit to go ahead and make sure that all of the supplies for the labs are listed out in your supply section of that lesson so that you have it on your supply printout ready to go. And you know within a few days advance notice that you need to start prepping those lab materials for that day. And one last thing when it comes to simplifying labs, don't grade the whole lab. We've talked about this a lot before. You don't always have to grade all of the pieces. You can do spot checks as your students are going to make sure they're on the right track, but then maybe only grade their graph or their conclusion. Maybe only grade the data that they've collected and calculated. You don't have to go through and grade every single piece, and it'll give you a lot of peace. (laughs) If you have more specific lab questions, please feel free to send me an email at hello at engineerdoseducation.com or shoot me a DM at engineerdoseducation on Instagram, leave a comment on the YouTube, and I will try to get back to you as best as I can. In the end, we want our students to just have a better understanding of the material. It does not have to be fancy. It does not have to be over the top, and the simpler you start out, the more complicated you can make it next time. 
but you can start with simple materials and simple ideas and still get the big point across. Until next time. Thanks for hanging out today. I hope that this simple step will help build big results in your classroom, home, and life. Remember to subscribe, review, and tag me on social media at Engineer Does Education so we can build a simple system together.